Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, this is Christopher Bandini, one of the co-hosts of New Books in Psychoanalysis, and I'm here today with John Sletfold, uh, PsyD, and uh, we're going to, going to talk about his book, The Embodied Analyst. Uh, Dr. Sletfold is a licensed specialist in clinical psychology and psychotherapy. He was founding board director of the Norwegian Character Analytic Institute and is currently faculty training and supervising analyst at the Character Analytic Institute. He is former chair of the Psychotherapy Specialty Board, of the Norwegian Psychological Association. He has published articles particularly on the role of the body in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis in national and international journals and is co-editor of two books, Den Therapeutic Dansen, The Therapeutic Dance, and Character Analytic Dialogues. I'm not going to try that other pronunciation. Uh, He is the author of The Embodied Analyst, From Freud and Reich to Relationality, published by Rutledge Taylor and Francis in the Relational Books Perspective Series 2014, and is the winner of the Gurdiver Award 2015. So uh, welcome, Dr. Sletvold. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Uh, what I would like to start, and what is customary in starting these interviews, is to speak about uh, why, what uh, caused you to write the book, uh, why you thought it would be a good topic. That's uh, actually one question I am a bit prepared for, <laughs> as uh, you told me that you usually start that way. I I will start with saying that from the middle of the 90s, I started uh, working on uh, two two ideas uh, or um, points of view or positions. Uh, The one had to do with um, uh, the the character analytic work of uh, Wilhelm Reich, uh, formulated uh, in the late 20s and early 30s. And... uh, uh, and the other thing was the new relational psychoanalysis, uh, formulated not least by Stephen Mitchell. Um, I became preoccupied with um, trying to integrate uh, these two traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the early work on character analysis from uh, Reich, uh, I think, was uh, was an early attempt to to, uh, to create the bodily basis for psychoanalysis. And that was not uh, the main focus of uh, Mitchell. Uh, that was more, more uh, the relationship. No. Uh, but I found that they had an important uh, thing common. They both um, uh, took as their starting point that the basic conflict is between the individual, the person, and the outer world, the, the environment, mm-hmm. rather than uh, inborn uh, co- conflicting uh, drives. And you felt this had, uh, had disappeared or vanished uh, maybe previously and, and had to be kind of uh, restated in some way, or was it uh, something that was missing? Uh, w- w- when you, uh, the use of the body, the body yeah. in psychoanalysis. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I had for... Um, quite some years been interested in uh, the place of the body um, in um, 
psychoanalysis and psycho, psychotherapy. Uh, so um, I was I started working with uh, integrating these two ideas and found that that seemed to function quite well. So um, by the middle of the uh, around uh, 2005, I had published some of this work in Norwegian, uh, but none in internationally in, uh, in, uh, and in English. So I started working with uh, an English uh, paper. Uh, which resulted in two papers in psychoanalytic dialogues, uh, one on the on Wilhelm Reich and the history of embodied analysis, and uh, one on embodied as, uh, approaches to analytic training. So those two papers, uh, in a way, was the starting point for the book. Uh, the use of the word embodied is an interesting uh Word. Can you say a little more about it and why you chose that term? I think it's a term that we, uh, an English term, English language term. We don't have it in Norwegian <laughs> or in German. So, uh, but, but in a way, it, um, it hit like a good term. And uh, it was also a, a term that was starting to be used more, I think, like uh, uh, embodied cognition mm -hmm. and uh, also in, um, in psychoanalysis. So the sense of the, of the analyst being in his body, kind yeah. of being, yes. uh, being more, more embodied, more in the body rather than in the mind. Yes, that and the analyst being in the body, that's important, mm -hmm. which is another perspective than looking primary, at the patient's body. Uh, one of the, uh, and there's many interesting things in the book, I really enjoyed reading it, uh, but certainly the history of Reich, uh, I think you did it very concisely, and it was kind of one of the re really uh, really interesting chapters about what he was like and mm -hmm. what his, his contributions were. And, and again, um, we know about Reich, but we don't think about his work until really your book, I think, has brought it back. I hope so. And I think uh, Reich has been best known for his, uh, or more known for his later work, mm -hmm. which came into focus particularly after he moved to the USA, where the ergonomy, uh, the physical work with the body, and also uh, more cosmological theories, which are at least um, disputable. So uh, what I have found particularly important uh, or valuable in Reich is his early psychoanalytic work from the middle of the 20th, uh, which then he termed character analysis and, uh, and, and said that it had to do primarily with uh, changing the focus from the what, which was the, uh, what the patient told, to how the patient communicates and... and um, and, and tells about things, uh, which then leads to more the emotional expression of the body and uh, how we walk, how we sit, how we stand. Yes, like character armor is the kind of the, the, yeah. the how, how, how we're, the, the, the patient is embodied in this armor, right? Yeah. Uh, then we move to the, to, to the that's about um, an embodied view of of the defense, 
that uh, we don't only use the mind in our def- uh, psychological defense, but we also use our body. And uh, the armor is a metaphor that he used, and it's, uh, uh, yeah, should we say, it, it, it captures one aspect. We can, we can tighten our bodies, but we do also a lot of other things. We move towards each other, away from each other, uh, against each other, uh, so it's also m- very much about how we, we how we move our body when we talk about uh, the defensive side of of, uh, uh, of our being. How did Reich get interested in in the body? Why was it? Uh, why do you think it was his innovation rather than um, maybe? Why did Freud maybe disregard it or not uh, not pay attention to it? And Reich did. Uh, it's a complicated question, and I must also um, remind us that I, the, ti- the, the title of the book or the subtitle is From Freud and Reich to Relationality. And um, so uh, I think Freud, uh, particularly in his earliest days, did very important work uh-huh. on the body. Okay, which I, I stand also, corrected. Yes, <laughs> and, and he also came back to the body, particularly in, uh, in the Ego and the Id, uh, 1923. But Back to, uh, but but he did he did not really develop an embodied approach to therapy to, to the clinical analysis. That, that, there he stayed mostly with the symbolic, as we know. So, um, as I read and understand Reich, uh, uh, it, it, I, I don't think it in the start was a question of a special interest in the body. It, it might have been, but I, I'm. I'm not, not sure about that. But what he was uh, detecting was that um, he focused on the, the non-verbalized resistances, uh, the, the so-called um, negative uh, transference, uh, and that the resistances was not expressed only or mostly through things the patient said, but very much in the way the patient behaved. So I, I, I think it was, it was his work on developing the psychoanalytic technique that, in a way, drew him to the bodily expressions. His first, one of his first responsibilities from rather early in the 20th was that he first initiated and then uh, led what was called the Seminar on Technique in Vienna, in Vienna in, uh, comprising... Freud's closest circle. Why do you think he shifted uh, more? I mean, as you mentioned earlier, uh, that uh, uh, that his later work is more well known. Uh, do, do you know anything about why he shifted in his work from uh, to the organ box and kind of organ therapy and uh, what happened there? When you ask me what made him shift, I must say I, I really am not sure. To me, it's a, in many way a, a mysterious uh, thing. <laughs> But he was, uh, well, he, he, he became very preoccupied with, with his conviction that the neurosis was something that was very grounded in the body. And he, that made him think in the direction of, of um, biophysics. So for Reich, his later work on ergonomy was biophysics. It was not psychology. It was not psychoanalysis. Or it was not character analysis. Even though he said that this more psychological part of the work 
still uh, was important. But the, the, what he thought was really revolutionary about his later work was that he it went beyond psychology and and uh, and into biophysics and uh, and uh, and also pure physics in a way. So uh, he was very excited at the moment when it seemed like uh, a great physicist. Um, uh, I, 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 not Einstein. Einstein, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, when, when Einstein seemed to uh, be interested in his work, but it was very short-lived. Also moving on, uh, something that I didn't know about was, was this uh, kind of strong Norwegian tradition that you write about in the book and, and, and some of the pioneers there. Could you, would you care to speak about some of them and maybe some of the contributions that, that the Norwegian uh, uh, psychoanalysts made? Yeah, I would like to do that, and of course that 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 is the background why I I, I became concerned with the, uh, I l- learned about these things in in the Norwegian tradition. The person that I write most about uh, and I, th- I think is the most important is um, uh, Harald Sjeldrup, who was the first Norwegian professor of psychology. Uh, initially, was professor of philosophy, and then he became professor of psychology. And he trained in psychoanalysis in Vienna and in Zurich. So he he was a psychoanalyst from the from the late uh, or late twenties, and he um, somehow uh, he became interested in um, the work of Reich. He must have heard about it in Vienna when he was there, I think. So when uh, Reich first moved in thirty three from Berlin. To, uh, to, uh, to Denmark, um, uh, Sjeldrup contacted him and, and started in an analysis with him and shortly afterward also invited um, uh, Reich to Oslo in the, the 1934 uh, and gave him opportunity to, to uh, teach at the psychology department at the University of Oslo. Uh, but it turned out that uh, Sjeldrup uh, early on developed his uh, own independent position. He uh, he did not share um, the uh, the view of uh, either uh, Freud nor Reich on 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 the on sexuality as the only source of neurosis. Uh, he developed a in many ways a very contemporary view. Uh, stressing that uh, all kinds of traumatic experiences and, and bad forms of upbringing uh, could result in, uh, in neurotic problems. So, um, yeah, um, so he has, uh, he has uh, meant quite a lot to me, but also the uh, Rice, um, uh, foremost Danish uh, student, which I also write a little about, uh, Tage Philipsson. Uh, he, bec- uh, he was the, the teacher of my training analyst. So th- that's my... So the analytic yeah, family. Yeah, yeah the, my, that's, <laughs> that's the lion of my analytic family, uh, which uh, and he uh, particularly uh, developed uh, views on embodied identification which resonates with uh, many of the contemporary views stimulated by the mirror neurons mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and that kind of 
the bodily foundation for intersubjectivity. Before, uh, I mean, when when uh, you heard about Mitchell and uh, I guess Greenberg and Mitchell, uh, how were analysts practicing in, in Norway? And um, was this was this a, a, a large shift? Do you think, or did uh, only some analysts uh, move towards relational work, or um, how did that uh, manifest itself in Norway? I don't think we have had uh, any broad, uh, I should say, uh, relational movement actually in. Uh, uh, in Norway, um, I had a relational leaning from the start. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was about to become a social psychologist before I <laughs> <laughs> I went into the clinical world and gradually into the, uh, psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but uh, uh, you, know, there were there were definite uh, um, exceptions. Uh, so, uh, but in in uh, in the IPA uh, Institute in Norway, I I think the relational tradition until recently has not had a very strong position. There has been another institute which had been affiliated with the the, um, uh, the White Institute here in New York, um, which has uh, had a clear relational. Uh, um, uh, orientation, and uh, also my institute, the Character Analytic Institute, which in a way was formed on the basis of uh, this um, merger or integration of character analysis and relational psychoanalysis. Um, yeah. Uh, you have several chapters in the book on, I guess, embodied uh, subjectivity and embodied su- intersubjectivity. Uh, would you care to kind of speak about them, maybe the differences or the similarities or um, how you came up with those terms and why you wrote about them? Yeah, I, I think they are. Uh, they are. Uh, those terms are fruits of this uh, integration of relational psychoanalysis and and uh, and the body-based character analysis. So, uh, the terms subjectivity and intersubjectivity, you know, they became very popular uh, within. Yeah, the, the, both self-psychology, the new relational psychology, the interpersonal psychoanalysis, <clears throat> the focus on subjectivity and intersubjectivity. So for me, it became rather natural, as I shared these views also on, on, on subjectivity, as a, to, uh, to try to add the embodied dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, uh, because I, in my view, uh, these positions, the, the subjectivity, the feeling of myself, and intersubjectivity, the feeling of you <laughs> in me, they are all both um, grounded in embodied experience, in my, my view. I, I, I feel myself in my own body, but in a way I also you in my own body through uh, identification, imitation, um, and so on. And actually also Freud wrote about this. Uh-huh. Uh, please remind me. Ah, <laughs> uh, then I must uh, look up this chapter on intersubjectivity. Um, then I, a path, th- this is Freud, 
a path leads from identification by way of imitation to empathy. Yeah. Yes, I, that, was one, that was one thing that really struck me was the, uh, was the embodiment of empathy. Now, we think yeah. about empathy and, and, and maybe in a sense of imagining, putting ourselves in someone else's shoes, but I think you do a great job on adding this kind of embodied sense of I'm, empathy. I'm, uh, I'm happy to, to, to hear that that's, that's your impression because I think that's uh, one of my main mm-hmm. uh, focuses. I think it comes across very yeah. clearly. Oh, good, yes. good, good. Yes. Mm. Um, and uh, how, is there a way that an embodied um, analysis would look differently? Does, does this affect in any way, or maybe you think, uh, feel it should affect how we work with patients in terms of uh, maybe the frame or the office or um, how, we, how we are in the room with patients? Does it look different? I, I, I discuss some of those topics in the book. Uh, when it comes to the frame and to, to the office, I, I discuss it particularly, I think, in the last chapter. I think um, that, uh, that traditionally psychoanalysis and psychotherapy has been done in very fixed forms. Psychoanalysis lying down, the analyst, analyst sitting behind, and other forms of psychotherapy uh, usually sitting in two chairs. And I think none of these arrangements has been much discussed <laughs> uh, traditionally. It's been uh, either you do psychoanalysis that way or you do psychotherapy that way. So from my experience, and uh, I think it's um, it's important to to uh, focus on how we are impacted, both patient and analyst, in different ways by how we are uh, with each other, uh, and uh, the impact is different uh, for different patients, and and of course, truly also different analysts. So I. I think it's um, uh, important to to have a discussion and to to to, uh, to be conscious about it. The simple examples, which I also elaborate on in the book, is that for some patients, laying down can be quite traumatic. Yes, mm-hmm. and for others, sitting, looking at each other, can be very traumatic. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You have to make a decision on a case by case basis. Each person is different. Yes, and also in different phases of the same analysis. Yes. Mm. That's my view. And we seem to have maybe, maybe what you're saying is, is it's been a one-size-fits-all, or, or we've been thinking we kind of apply it across the board, and we have to have maybe more flexibility about this than we've had in the past. Uh, that's my argument, yeah. Also, you, uh, you do a, a wonderful job of integrating the different concepts of besides empathy, like uh, attachment theory and uh, some of the new neuroscience. Would you like to say something about that as well? Yeah, but what should I say? <laughs> how, does it, how does the attachment maybe come into this, the attachment uh, theories? I feel they, they fit rather well into uh, my basic relational orientation. <laughs> and, uh, and to me, it seems that uh, th- this is an experience I, I share with many contemporary uh, psychoanalysts and psychotherapists. Uh, there was some decades ago, uh, I, I think, uh, quite uh, the, the microanalytic um, infant research by Stern, BB, and others, mm-hmm. 
was uh, seen as something quite different from Bowlby and the attachment. Over the years, I think this it seems to me that this these perspectives has grown very much together. Well, it's certainly uh, you couldn't get any more embodied than a, the mother-infant dyad, no, I think. No, and no. and well, of course, that, that's an important question, uh, important point. All the the focus, uh, the, the research and and interest in, uh, in in the infant caregiver situation, uh, I, I think, has been uh, contributed much to 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 moving. Uh, psychoanalysis in an embodied direction. So, so that also have, has helped very much this uh, integration that I write about. Uh, so, um, for instance, uh, the work of Bibi and Lachman, uh, the book they published in yes. 2002, uh, that fitted very well into uh, the training program that we were creating at the Character Analytic Institute, I remember. Hmm. So uh, that's also, uh, I guess, in the later chapters of the book, uh, you mentioned uh, the, the training, and maybe yeah. um, uh, maybe you can discuss some of the aspects of how you might, uh, how the training might differ, or what you might add to supervision, what you might add to the training of new analysts. Yeah, uh, I think that's a very important part of the work, mm-hmm. and yes. uh, and it's also uh, uh, a part of the history of, of 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 the book, so to speak. That I, in these years, together with uh, colleagues, uh, were engaged in, in in developing a new form of uh, training, uh, an uh, embodied analytic training. What has what uh, early on became important aspect of this training was that we developed ways of working with the patient without words. We came up with uh, a way of uh, presenting the patient in case conferences without uh, without telling anything about the patient. Instead, asking the candidate who would present the patient to start just by standing in the way he or she would imagine the, the patient would stand. And later on, walking and sitting down like the patient. This turned out to be very fruitful. And because uh, then uh, all candidates, students, focused very much on bodily behavior of the um, imitated patient and uh, forgot about uh, the the history of the patient, that they they didn't know anything about it. uh, In my experience, knowing a lot about uh, verbally about the patient brings about much of the preconceptions of the candidates and, and, and has a tendency to turn interest away from what is actually going on with the patient. So uh, I think we have profited very much from this uh, starting with uh, just uh, how uh, the patient appears bodily. It's almost like it borrows from almost like a like theater or acting to kind of to to get into that place. Absolutely, absolutely. And I've particularly been fascinated with the work of a friend of late Daniel Stern, <laughs> Robert Wilson, who actually uses very much the same technique when he directs or 
uh, actors in a play, having having them to 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 uh, to um, uh, to create the characters with only the body first, and um, then putting on the words later. How do the supervisees respond to uh, to this technique? I think um, uh, in supervision. Um, we, we we allow some words, uh, so we are, uh, so uh, but not too many words, and then we have the supervisees to to go to enter both the analyst position and the patient position bodily. Generally, uh, candidates supervisees are, are are very happy with this uh, this approach. Uh, one aspect of it is that it. It focuses on the unconscious experiences in the candidate's body, and and brings that out in a uh, in a way that uh, quite automatically feels helpful. That's because it comes from the candidate, rather than the correct ideas coming from the supervisor. The concept of imitation that you mentioned is very important here. That's yes, also yes, kind of you yes, mentioned yes. earlier in the book. Yes, very basic. Yeah, when it comes to to how we learn about the other one, about uh, the patient, it, it's a it's a basic kind of human interaction that you kind of elucidate and elaborate on in the book. That imitation is is kind of basic to human human interaction, intercon human yeah. contact. Yeah, uh, uh, we were struck early in this work by the. the uh, how powerful our ability to imitate is. So maybe we are thinking that uh, it's only particularly gifted actors that has this uh, ability, but I think most of us have it. And uh, there are also a lot of research over the recent uh, years that support that imitation is very basic to human functioning. What about countertransference and kind of how... uh how some of the things you write about might might factor in or might change the way we think about countertransference? Um, yeah. Um, change it or perhaps... Add to it? Add to it, underline it even more. Uh, in a way, I think uh, for a great part of the history, the... the history of psychoanalysis over the last decades is about the shift from transference to counter-transference, uh, more on what's going on in the analyst and, and, the, and the analyst's ability to have knowledge and use knowledge about the patient. And uh, this more explicit, embodied conception of counter-transference I think it's more underlines and, and hopefully contributes to a strengthening of this development. So uh, lately I've been uh, writing about, uh, about psychoanalysis as a, a work from the analyst's body. So, and uh, so in more traditional terms, that would be work from the countertransference. <laughs> Something that's also interesting that you write about is companionship. And, uh, and there was an interesting piece also about, I guess, companionship, obviously, with other people, but also companionship with animals, you mentioned. Yeah. 
Uh, I must say that the, 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 the term companionship I borrow from Tjevarten. Yeah, um, that's not my creation, but I, I, I liked it. Uh, I add a little bit about uh, companionship with animals. And the reason is that um, it has struck me with uh, several patients that the um, relationship to animals, particularly dogs, seem to have played an important part. Not against the cat people, but specifically dogs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And not, about, uh, not against the cat people. Nothing against cats. But, but, uh, but uh, in my case, it's, yeah. it's, it's usually it's yeah. been dogs. And, and I think there are some important differences, probably also between cats and dogs in this respect. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that uh, many people who had... Uh, very, very unhappy in many ways or not so good relationship with their parents and with the humans. They, they, um, they do better when they have had the opportunity to, to attach to a dog. And, uh, and I speculate also that it contributes to the development of empathy. Yes, I, it's, it's something that in, in many cases we hear from our patients, but it hasn't been written about widely. No, no, I don't... Uh, write very much about it, but I have, I have a short <laughs> part, and you were fascinated by this. It was interesting to me interesting. To, to kind of run across it. Um, but one thing I was thinking of, and this is something, maybe it's, it's just my own take, but when I, uh, I go to the conferences, you know, we go to these conferences and we sit in these large hotel rooms and we, uh, we listen to the talks, but we never move around. And I was thought about that when I was reading your book, yeah. about how wonderful it would be if all of us moved more. Yeah. You yeah. know, maybe if we moved in... The session, or if we moved during the conferences, like the conferences should have, like you know, a a, a masseuse there, or a kind of a a, a dance uh, a possibility, or something, where people should just break to stretch and go to yes, yoga or yes. something. I think about how much that, that was something I thought about when I was reading your book of how little we move when we're working. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think there can be some changes. There are some changes. There, I, 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 I think there has been some. Some small uh, movement exercises in uh, a couple of conferences lately. <laughs> oh, have there? I, uh, I, 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 I think I re- remember. But you, you are you are right, and I, and I think it reflects the um, uh, the psychoanalytic tradition. Uh, you find it outside psychoanalysis also. I think other conferences can be very much the yes. same. Um, uh, I also, that could go back to uh, what I also write a little about, uh, uh, building on the work of Sue Shapiro, how how the body was disciplined in a way in the Western culture in the in the in the nineteenth century. Uh, but back to psychoanalysis. So there was the conviction that it was important not to move, mm-hmm. uh, not to act. Yes. Because that was considered uh, almost like to move. To move would be like um, uh, to get away from neutrality. Like to not move yeah, was was yeah. considered neutral. Yeah, uh, I think that that's uh, that's right. But but also it was considered as um, the best way to make the unconscious conscious. <laughs> and I, I think that was a mistake. <clears throat> I, I mean, I think to go back to the countertransference uh, piece, you know. Uh, the desire to move around and or, or to feel fidgety or to feel 
something in the body when uh, when with the patient is kind of some of our most uh, uh, useful clues as to what's going on, Definitely. and to kind of try to restrain that seems to be kind of an error to, yeah, to make. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Mm. Um, let me see if there's some other things that I haven't uh, spoken about. Something else we can add. Uh, any aspect of the book that I'm thinking of that we haven't covered? Oh, yeah. So we have touched uh, the main topics, I think. But uh, we... I, I think so. I was. I guess one, one thing. I, uh, another thing I was thinking of was um, uh, was I guess there's more of a tradition in the body uh, in uh, other body work or or creative arts therapy of using the body yeah, yeah. more than yes, uh, definitely. Uh, so and uh, I have um, I have some experiences from mm-hmm. from these traditions. Particularly, I worked for many years and studied with uh, uh, an, an, uh, an American uh, Albert Pesso, uh, who uh, who was originally a dancer and who uh, created a form of psychodramatic group psychotherapy based on his experiences with the training dancers. And um, that has been a very important uh, experience for me um, to, to, to somehow see the, move, uh, see the body move and, uh, and, and learn the importance and, uh, of, of, of the movements of the body and, and, and how expressive it is. Uh, which, I guess, brings me to another point, which is... Um uh, maybe if you could say a few words about how this work uh, informs maybe uh, some of the current uh, literature on trauma and kind of the current work on trauma and how we can perhaps integrate this as well. Yeah, that was a big question. <laughs> it is a big question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I think that, um, uh, yeah. Actually, all non-neurological uh, mental disorders has, in one way or another, a traumatic background. There, there, there are so many ways of being traumatized and, and mm-hmm. to develop defenses against trauma. So, so that's, uh, in a way, the, uh, forms very much of the basic, or basics of my understanding. And it goes back to 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 the view that uh, our basic conflicts and also possibilities has to do with the relationship with each, with each other and the environment. So um, uh, actually, I uh, I will uh, publish a paper in psychoanalytic dialogues, uh, probably the next edition, on uh, on Freud's. Uh, like all Freud's three theories of neurosis, uh, um, and uh, suggest that uh, his first theory on trauma and, and defense has turned out to be right, and that we should could build a contemporary theory on that early trauma theory of of, um, of, uh, of Freud. So. Um, um, uh, all, all, all clinical analysis, all psychotherapy is, in my view, uh, a way of treating trauma. 
but th- th- there are se- several views on this, and yes. other people will reserve tra- trauma to more dramatic events in the, uh, in life. But very much uh, also, it's not uh, also research um, points in the direction that. Uh, uh, it uh, that maybe in some of the most traumatic experiences for us is uh, uh, is the distorted emotional uh, communication, yeah. not uh, between, uh, not least between infants and, <laughs> and caregivers, and that the impact of of uh, what we could call uh, empathic deficits. Uh, seem to be as great as uh, as are the impacts of uh, major uh, uh, major abuse and uh, and and neglect. So I just wanted to say, I guess we're going to have a few more minutes, and we're going to uh, finish up. But just how uh, uh, how great it was to 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 speak with you about this book. I think it's a, it's a really essential book. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and that how I, I wanted to also add about how you, um, uh, you know, sometimes we do these interviews on Skype and how you uh, really made a, a great point of saying, no, I'm going to come in in person and do it. So we're yeah. sitting in my office yeah. uh, doing this uh, because I had forgotten about the embodied part of it. Here I am doing an interview about the embodied analyst yes. and I'm saying, let's do it on the phone. Yeah. And you made this great point of coming okay. in and saying, and saying, let's do it in person. So here we are in person in New York City. Yeah. Uh, doing it, so I just wanted to to thank you for that and kind of reminding me about the body as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, if, if that's all, I guess we'll. Uh, yeah. Thank I think, you. I think that's great. I think it was a great interview. Thank you. And um, this is Christopher Bandini with John Slethfold from uh, uh, New Books and Psychoanalysis. Until next time. <laughs>